Hello, and welcome to the Grace Redeemed Podcast, the show that brings you a variation of topics to help support and equip you in your daily Christian life. I am your host, Lauren, but you can call me Lo. Today, I have the privilege and blessing of being joined by William Burrow. Burrows, right? Or Burrow? Burrows. Yeah. Burrows. Got it. Um, So excited to have him on. Um, Just been super encouraged by some of the content you've posted on Instagram and among other things, but just super excited to dig in the topic of biblical repentance and just kind of pick your brain a bit about some questions that I don't want to say plague believers, but just some questions that we kind of ask ourselves, at least I know I have throughout this walk. So thank you so much for joining. joining yeah, us. absolutely. I'm excited to be on. Thank you. Do you mind like starting off, like just sharing a little bit about yourself and, and how you came to Christ? Sure. Yeah. So I was, um, I was born in church almost quite literally. Like, you know, I, I have never known a time when I, I wasn't a part of a, of a local church. So um, my parents, um, were not believers when they, when they came together, but by the time I was born, they, uh, they had come to faith. And so, um, at that, by that time they were faithful members of a church. Um, so I've never known anything except that, that life. Um, and it it was a small Baptist church in Michigan. And when I was uh, five years old, I, uh, I have a distinct memory of this. Uh, we had a, a traveling, uh, evangelist. He'd came and spoken at our church, um, he was quite old. It was in some of the last years of his ministry. Um, and he just preached a, a very simple presentation of the gospel. Um, and looking back, it was kind of interesting that that he did it that way because he was there for a missions conference. It was in November. Our church always did a, a, a missions conference. And so um, typically the, the, the messages would have been very specific towards encouraging people to either give to missions or to surrender to missions, that sort of thing. Um, but he just preached a simple a gospel presentation. Um, and that was, that was the night that, that God opened my eyes to understand what I had been taught the first five years of my life. Right. And, um, and so that was the, the, the night that I had made a profession of faith. I was baptized not long after that. And, um, you know, and, and that, that sort of began that, that walk with Christ, even though I was quite young, um, because our church was small, we had big combined um, like Sunday school classes. So my dad was the Sunday school teacher from like, I think it was like first or second grade all the way up through high school. So after I got out of like the, the little kids Sunday school class, like it was like, boom, hit the ground running. Um, and my dad was a fairly new believer at the time. He was, he was, he was faithful and he was growing. He was very hungry for the word. Um, but he did not know how to teach a Sunday school class. So he just went and was like, I'm just going to find curriculum for new believers. So he found this like new believers curriculum. Um, and that was our Sunday school curriculum. So wow, as as young as I was, it was, it was pretty, pretty meaty stuff. And so, um, you know, that, that was excellent because my, my whole, um, you know, those formative years of my life from, from five, six, seven, eight, up until, uh, I think I was 12 when we moved away from that church. Um, I sat under that kind of regular teaching. Um, and then he was faithful to do that at home too. My dad was very, very faithful to to lead family worship with us at home. Um, and so I just grew up completely saturated by the Bible and, and by Christian learning. Um, but then when I was uh, a teenager, when I was 18, my family moved to Ohio. My dad took a church down in Ohio. Um, and so that sort of began a completely different um, 
era of my life. It's a completely different phase, um, new place, new people, new friends. Uh, and because I was 18 and still living at home, um, it wasn't very long after I moved to Ohio that I got out on my own. And, and so um, that sort of opened the door for me to meet a bunch of new people. I was making new friends and some of them were Christians. Some of them were not. Some of them were Christians from different backgrounds. Um, and so they began asking me, you know, they, they were very intrigued by me because I was this pastor's kid who had been homeschooled from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, so they were just kind of like, oh, this is, yeah. we, we've heard of these kind of people. Right. Um, and, and so like, they would always ask me questions, you know, um, and I like, I remember one time I was at a coffee shop and, and uh, one of the owner's friends um, had also grown up Baptist and she, she knew that I was a Christian and that I was homeschooled. And so she was like, so like, can you just like, tell me the whole story of Gideon right now? Can you? And I was like, sure, if you want to, I can, t- I, I know the story. Uh, and they were just amazed that I could just like pick this story out of the Bible and tell it to them from my head, you know? And for me, that was like normal. Everybody I know can tell you this story. Right. Um, yeah. And, but so the, the, you know, that those sort of relationships were, were fun sometimes for those types of questions. And then sometimes they were asking questions that I thought, I don't, I don't know the answer to that one. And I know that I should, or um, worse, there were, there were answers that I knew I could give them the right answer. And they would be like, but why, like, why, why is that? Why is that the case? Um, And I had no foundation. So, um, you know, I had, I had lots of biblical training growing up. I had, you know, a a good foundation built for me, uh, but because I hadn't yet sort of taken it seriously, I hadn't, read the Bible to understand why I believed what I believed. It was pretty shaky during those years. And so that kind of really pushed me into the word. Um, and so from, from kind of 18, 19, those earlier adulthood years up until the time that I'd gotten married, it was a, a kind of a hard struggle of wrestling with how much of what I was raised in is real or, you know, can I really trust that the Bible is hundred percent true and authoritative and all of that? Um, and when those things began to be fleshed out in my own life, that was when it like, it was like getting saved again. Like it's, it's a whole new experience, um, you know, learning to, to follow Christ on your own and not sort of riding the coattails of your parents. If, if you can maintain a faithful Christian living after you're not out of, or after you're out of that sort of oversight and, and guidance, um, it, it, it becomes real. Um, and so, you know, th- that, those years were, were very fruitful, very exciting. Um, and then getting married and being able to to walk alongside uh, my wife as we grow together has been uh, absolutely wonderful. That's awesome. And one thing that I, I love your testimony, I also love what you said about it was like almost being like saved again, kind of in a sense when you hear that. And I thought about that, like when I finally, which I still some days I'm like, I'm picking it back another layer. But when you truly like understand the sovereignty of God or you're, if you're studying mm-hmm. the doctrines of grace, it's like, I just got saved all again. Oh, again. <laughs> I'm like, yes. wow, this, I don't have to like put all of this on me or, or he's really yeah. in control. And when you finally can comprehend all of that, it's just, it's amazing. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So I just wanted to talk a little bit with you about like repentance. So like how we know how to identify repentance as believers, but to the non-believer or a new believer, how would we identify what repentance, what repentance is and why it's necessary in our, in our walk? Sure. So the uh, repentance, I think if you kind of try to strip away a lot of uh, the fluff that is often added to it at its, at its core, at its, at its most basic state, um, repentance is a turning away from something to something else. 
Um, and, and truthfully, you know, in, in an old sense of the word and an older understanding of the word, it's, it's more of a neutral term. You know, when we, when we talk about repentance now, especially within sort of a church context or a Christian context, we mean specifically turning from sin to God. But at its, at its root or at its core, repentance simply means turning from something to something else. Um, so, you know, in, in the Old Testament, some of the Hebrew words that are used in relation with, uh, repent, uh, with repentance could be, you know, that they turned from idols to God, uh, but it could also be said that they had turned from following God to following idols. Um, so kind of a neutral word that just means to turn from something to something else. Um, and I think that's still a, a very good way to understand the meaning of the word, yeah. um, you know, to, to, to be, you know, sometimes you, you've heard other terms like a complete about faith, you know, it's a, it's a complete reversal. Um, but as you begin to sort of dig into the word, especially in a Christian understanding and in, in, in a biblical context, understanding of the word, um, it begins, it begins to mean a little bit more because you and I both know that, um, you know, it's, it's not enough to simply tell someone to stop doing something wrong. And then if they stop, it's real repentance. That's not true. Anyone can stop anything for a short amount of time. Um, and, and, but to be able to maintain true biblical repentance requires a change of heart. Um, you know, you see that in the old Testament, you see it in the new Testament, Jesus promises to, to turn the heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Well, why would we need that? Because we can't repent on our own. It's, it's an absolute gift of grace. Um, but, uh, you know, but again, at its, at its, you know, most simplest term, it's, it's a turning from something to something else. But your follow-up question is, is really good. Why is it necessary? Because it, that sort of begins to peel back some of the layers of the specific details about what true repentance is and why it's important. Um, and so, you know, when, when John the Baptist began his ministry, when Jesus began his ministry, um, those were the first words out of their mouth. Um, which is sometimes shocking to think about, you know, when you think about Jesus and his ministry, a lot of people gravitate towards sort of the, the, the compassion that you see in the yes. gospels of yes. Jesus and, and the woman at the well and uh, the woman caught in adultery and those types of situations where it's, it's, he's very compassionate. He's very tender. He's very caring. And th that's true. That is who, who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. Um, and yet even to the woman at the well, he said, go call your husband. Um, you know, he, he wasn't afraid to show her, I know where you're sitting. I know where you need my help. Um, and, and he does the same thing to us. You know, the Matthew be, and, uh, and Matthew records the first words of Jesus ministry. It says from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That, that was, that was his message. Mark says that his message was repent and believe in the gospel. Um, and so right away, you kind of begin to see in the scriptures that if you're going to, to, to follow Christ, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then repentance is a necessary part of that journey. You, you, you cannot follow Christ without repentance. Um, because again, going back to sort of that base meaning of the word, if you're going to follow Christ, you have to turn from whatever it is you're currently following. Jesus made it very clear in his teachings that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot turn, you cannot uh, live a life that is, um, you know, ran by sin, mastered by sin, and also called Jesus your master. It has to be one or the other. Um, and so that, that call to repent and believe in the gospel is a call to turn from everything you've ever pursued and follow me wholeheartedly. Um, and, and sometimes I think repentance gets a bad rap because we kind of consider it a good work or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, but the truth of the matter is it's a gift of grace from God that is, Absolutely. that is given to us. And so, um, when, when Jesus calls us to repent, he doesn't simply call us to repent. He gives us the ability, the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us to actually be able to do that, uh, and to do it right. Um, and, 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 it, and I was just thinking about this, this text this morning, uh, you know, I was preparing for this call, I understood the, the topic we were thinking about. And I remembered this sort of scary verse from, from Luke in Jesus' ministry, where it's kind of an odd section. Jesus is teaching. Um, and then there's this group of Jews that kind of bring, brings up this, this freak accident story of, um, or not a freak accident, but a sort of a, just a weird incident where Pilate had killed some Galileans and mixed yeah. their blood with animal sacrifices. Um, and the Jews in speaking to Jesus kind of make it evident that they thought like, okay, these people must have been so sinful that this was the judgment of God on them for their sin. And since we're still alive, we must not have been as bad as those guys. Um, and Jesus says, absolutely not. If, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Right. Um, and then Jesus brings up another incident. There's this, remember, remember the tower that fell in Siloam and it killed 18 people. And they kind of thought the same thing. Oh, those people must have been a little bit more sinful than we are. And so God killed them. And, and Jesus tells them the same thing. No, if you don't repent, the same thing will happen to you. And clearly Jesus wasn't talking about some sort of physical death that if you sin, you'll just immediately die here. Uh, he, those those two incidents kind of pointed to a bigger uh, looming disaster for those who continue in, in unrepentant sin. Um, and so if if we are going to follow Christ, if we are going to escape the wrath to come, as Jesus says, uh, then repentance is, is absolutely necessary. That is so good. There's so many little good nuggets in there. I'm going to like have to post because that's so <laughs> like, and literally that's literally, literally what it is. And I remember hearing like when I first, the Lord first saved me, like, Repentance is looking at sin the same way God looks at it, the same way he sees it, you're supposed to see it. And I'm, that was pretty, pretty clear to me. And I'm like, okay. And I also love what you said too, about how a lot of it, I don't know if you want to say it's with the easy believism, but it's even, mm. some of it's just, we see it and we're like, oh, he's just so compassionate and the lamb and, you know, but no, he spoke about repentance. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, we, he did speak about that very boldly. And I, I love when you said that as well. So how do I know, or how does a believer know if their repentance is worldly or godly? I, I believe my repentance now looks a lot different than it did when the Lord first saved me. But mm -hmm. if they, I don't, I don't want to say that it's um, more heartfelt or more, not gen, even genuine, not the word, but how can a believer tell the difference between the two? And is it true that your repentance over time can, can change and I don't want to say morph, but become even more godly if possible? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that, um, like anything else, you know, the, the Christian journey is truly a journey where it's, um, you know, it's very progressive in its nature in terms of the, the closer that you go to God. Um, I don't remember who said it. I kind of wish I did because I, I like to give credit where credit's due. But um, he said something like, you know, he was an older minister and someone had asked him, um, sort of speaking about sanctification and, and the, the, the daily role of repentance in the life of the Christian. And um, they kind of alluded to the fact that as a much older, more seasoned, mature Christian, it must be nice to sin less. And he said, oh, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I don't know if I sin any less, um, but I definitely repent more. Yes. Um, and so I, I think that um, the more that you, you, you grow in your faith, the more you read scripture, the more you learn of God, um, 
it's it's sort of like coming more and more into the light that you know you repent and and there's forgiveness and there's there's cleansing and you feel good and and then as you step more into that light, it sort of reveals another part of you that's not quite like Christ yet. Right. And so the, the, the closer you get, like your repentance changes, I think in a sense, um, sometimes simply because you're coming closer to Christ and he's revealing more sin that was pretty deeply hidden that we had kind of convinced ourselves even that it wasn't sin anymore. And, and the, the word and spirit of God just have a way of pulling those things out into the light. Um, which is hard, which is really painful. You know, early on in, in your Christian walk, those things um, are, are very uncomfortable. I mean, it's not any more comfortable when you're, you know, a, a more mature Christian, uh, only by then you've learned the grace of, of what it's like. You know, it's, it's sort of like the, the little kid, you got to smack the hand because it's, it's, it's far better that they experience a little bit of pain on the hand than to put the hand on the stove, you know? And so the, those, those types of, things we might remember those little stings of pain and, and seeing them brought to the light but it's it is so much better to just take care of the problem you know um one of my kids recently had a sliver in his in his hand and he didn't want me to touch it and i told him i was trying to explain to him even though he's a kid he doesn't understand i was trying to explain if i leave it in there it's going to get infected and it's going to hurt way worse than it does now you got to endure the little bit of pain now get it out can't let it fester. And, and it's the same way. It, it hurts. And it's, it's um, you know, painful to see your sin dragged out into the light of Christ. And yet the, the forgiveness that we experience because of that is, is, you know, just truly amazing. Um, and, and, and it, that, I mean, that's a good tie into the, to the question, because when you, when you think about worldly repentance and, and biblical repentance, um, depending on the, on the translation of Bible used, uh, you know, some of them call it worldly grief and, 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 and uh, godly grief or worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Um, and uh, there's, there's kind of a one main thing that differentiates them. And that's sort of what you do with your sin. So, um, you know, for, for the believer, when, when the light of Christ reveals hidden sin in our lives, we know what to do with that sin. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when, when, when that sin is revealed in our life, we take it to Christ. We get rid of this for me. I don't want it. I want to identify with you. I want to be washed of this sin. Uh, whereas worldly grief, worldly sorrow sees that sin and they try to either cover it up or to make it better themselves. Right. Um, and I think a prime example of this is actually Judas. So I, the church context I grew up in, um, we, we use the King James for everything. And, and, and the King James translates what happens with Judas. Um, that, that there's a, a Greek one, there's three main Greek verbs in the new Testament that, that do with repentance. Um, and one of them is sort of that regret remorse that you don't do anything with. Um, and so the, 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 the King James translates Judas after seeing Jesus betrayed and he feels bad about it, um, as repentance. This is Judas repented. Um, I, oh, I think, I, it does. I think, it, yeah, uh, ESV says that Judas changed his mind and ASB says that Judas felt remorse. And so like, yeah. those are all good translations of the word, but the important thing is, okay, so what did, what did Judas do with those feelings? He went to the priests. And he tried to undo what he did. You can't undo sin. He, you know, and it didn't matter that he left the silver there. It was already done. The sin had already been committed. And he knew that. He, he felt that, that weight of sin, that conviction of sin. Um, but it was a worldly sorrow that Paul says, and I think it's Second Corinthians, that 
that type of sorrow leads to death. Well, that's the same thing that sin leads to. Sin leads to death. And the type of fixing that you think you're going to do for it also leads to death. And that was Judas's problem. He betrayed the son of God. He felt guilty. He felt remorse. He wished he hadn't done it. He felt regret, but he didn't go to Christ. He tried to fix it himself um, and it didn't work. The feeling he, he returned the silver and instead of, oh, there, I've, I've fixed it. It was still there. It was so heavy. He went and killed himself. Um, and and it's, it's the contrast is especially shocking when you think of Peter. Peter denied Christ. Jesus, I think one of the most painful parts that I've ever read in scripture is Jesus turning to look at Peter in that moment. Peter remembering it says he went out and he wept bitterly. He's feeling the same weight of guilt that Judas did. But we see later on in the gospels that he didn't run and try to fix things himself, which Christ. Christ forgave him. Christ restored him. Christ told him to, to feed my sheep, feed my lambs. That's very evident that God is, that, that Jesus was still including Peter in his mission for, for the church. And it's, that's, that's the difference between worldly sorrow and, and godly sorrow. Um, in, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he's talking about this godly sorrow, godly grief, um, sort of this dichotomy between the two. And um, he's, of course, the first letter was very harsh, very, you know, correcting some serious errors in the church. And when he writes back in this second letter, he says, I know that I made you grieve. I, I know that. Um, and I'm not sorry. I'm glad. I'm rejoicing. Not, not that you grieve, but I'm rejoicing because that grief led you to repentance, which shows me that it was true godly grief because worldly grief leads to death. Godly grief leads to repentance. And so he can he can tell them with confidence, like I'm I'm glad that it grieved you because it grieved you in the right direction. You had the right kind of grief. You understood your sin in the light of the gospel, and you took it to Jesus uh, because that's that's the kind of grief that that uh, that produces repentance and not death. I love that. Let's go, Will. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome, and what a great way to break down like Judas's repentance or repentance because. I remember being new in the faith and I'm like, he, he's so sad. Like he really mm. feels really bad. And then being able to have it dissected that way, like spot on. Thank you. So since we're saved and God knows everything, like why is ongoing repentance necessary? You may have touched on this a little bit <clears throat> because we never stop sinning. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's verbatim, but it was like, um, I don't sin less as a Christian, but I, I repent more. So we know yeah. that we keep that going. So what do you say to the person who says that God knows everything I'm going to do. He's sovereign. Mm-hmm. Why is an ongoing repentance necessary? Sure. So this is, I'll, I'll try to answer this one in kind of two different directions. Um, the first one, I'll kind of discuss the sovereignty because that particular topic can be applied to many things. You know, if, if God knows everything, why do we pray? Or, you know, if God knows everything, why do we um you know, why do we do, for example, if, if God is going to do what God's going to do, why do I lock my doors at night? You know, if he's either going to protect me or he's not. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's very important to sort of take a step back and, and understand that God's sovereignty um, is more pervasive than we think, not less. And so when we think like, oh, well, God already did everything, so I don't have to do anything. We're sort of removing ourselves out of an equation that God may have had us in in the first place. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, to say like, well, if God is going to save my neighbor, 
Um, I don't need to witness to them because it's going to happen regardless. Okay. Is that, that is to take ourselves out of the, the means by which God saves people. God does not save people by shooting them with lightning bolts from heaven and boom, now they're just saved. He uses ordinary means. He uses people like you and me to tell them about the gospel. And so the same thing happens with, with sin. If God knows that uh, I sin all the time and he knows that if I'm sorry, he's going to forgive me, um, then I don't need to confess my sin. Um, it sort of leads us down this wrong path of forgetting that God didn't just ordain the ends of things. He also ordained the means. And so God has in his divine providence in his wisdom has made it that the way that we experience the forgiveness and the grace of God in a daily ongoing way is confession and repentance. And it's not because when I confess, then God, uh, Wash has been cleaned of my sin, and now I'm okay with him. I'm already a Christian. And, and my theology tells me, the way I understand the Bible tells me that if I'm truly justified, then I will be sanctified. I will be glorified. I cannot fall away ultimately. There will be times of, of backsliding and times of you know wavering. And yet it's not my faith that's holding me fast. It's, it's Christ that's holding me fast. And, and, and so it, it's sort of easy to say, well, then what, why do I need to confess my sin? Cause I'm already saved. It's not like I can get unsaved or unforgiven, but that's not the point. The point is to, to maintain that regular relationship with Christ. We want to use the means that he has set forth for us to experience that, that grace and that forgiveness. Um, and so we are called to confess our sins when we sin the, you know, the Bible says that whoever says they're without sin is a liar. So, okay. So we know we sin. And then he says, those who are in Christ don't sin constantly. Okay. So now there's a, a kind of this, these two divides, but then he says, but if we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So, so there's this, this kind of like this, this healthy understanding of, okay, we can't walk around saying that we don't sin because we're Christians now. Um, Cause that would make us liars, but we also can't just continue in sin. So the, the middle balance is when you do sin, cause you will sin. The, the forgiveness and grace of Christ is available to you when you experience it in that daily walk of confession and repentance. And, and truly, I mean, it's, it's very similar to, you know, that, that parent child relationship. When, when my children sin against me, you know, when they are disobedient or when they say something hurtful, um, my relationship with them may feel strained in those moments. And especially if I need to respond in anger or correction, now they might feel like something changed or that, that I don't love them anymore or something like that. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Of course, I absolutely love them, but they're not going to be experiencing that love in that moment because all they can feel is the correction. But when they come and say, dad, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. It's not like I turned my love back on for them. The love was still there. The forgiveness was already there, but now they can walk away and feel forgiven and feel fresh and feel like something was restored. Um, and that's, that's the same way it is for us. I love that. Well said. So long ago, and I think it was Paul Washer and I'm trying to, I don't want, I want to quote the person correctly, but I believe that he made the comment, um, that our repentance or his, I think he said his repentance needs repenting of mm. you, when you hear that, <clears throat> I don't, I don't think it falls under legalism, but I know that it's caused a lot of believers to be really kind of terrified um, that I'm familiar with in their repentance. Cause they're like, I, I truly look at my sin or this sin that I've you know, committed in the way that the Lord sees it. 
but now I'm hearing my repentance needs repenting of. I'm just like, <laughs> what do I do? I'm so afraid. And I, I think I understood what Paul Washer was saying. I believe it was Washer when that comment was made. But what do you say to someone who, who hears that and may feel a little fear um, mm. uh, behind that? I don't know, condemnation or conviction, but what, what do you sure. say? Yeah. So w- whenever people are are feeling a little bit of, you know, conviction or maybe even condemnation, I'm, I try to be very careful and not like paint in broad strokes. So, you know, I don't want to say, oh, no, 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 don't, that's right. Don't feel that condemnation because it might right. be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So um, it's, it, you know, for some, it might be, uh, you know, them thinking that they're feeling condemned when, when God would say, no, there is no condemnation for you. Um, but for some, it might simply be the Holy Spirit convicting them of, of hidden sin still. So, uh, so I don't want to paint in broad strokes. It's not going to be the same answer for everyone. Um, but I would say this, that there, there's a, a very big difference between um, godly guilt, godly conviction, and shame. Um, you know, the, uh, again, sort of going back to a, a parent analogy, if, if, my, if my son does something um, that's not wrong, maybe he, you know, spilled a cup of water on the table, um, he might feel bad if he ruined something in doing that or you know whatever um but the there's no shame i'm not going to stand up and shame him for what he did um in fact i'll help him clean it up Uh, whereas satan wants to discourage wants to cripple and so when when we sin um he's not sitting there saying like oh this was a bad thing god said that you shouldn't do this He's, he's accusing and he wants you to feel shame and disgust to the point that we're embarrassed to take yeah. it to God. You know, like, oh, I don't even want to talk about this with, with God. Um, whereas again, we're, when Jesus pulls stuff into the light, it's not to shame you. It's to get rid of it. It's to, to help and, and remove it. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's kind of a good indicator of, you know, if, if, you're, if you're feeling shameful, that's not God. God doesn't condemn and shame. God convicts uh, and heals and, and cleanses. And so that, that's kind of a good, uh, you know, a good indicator that I, I, I myself often will think, you know, what am I feeling right now? Am I feeling shamed and disgusted or am I, is this the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin? Um, but I think kind of the, the core of that specific statement has to deal mainly with our pride. Um, I, I heard someone say one time that if, if you, if the only time you ever repent of sin is immediately after you do it, um, then you're not repenting or you're training your sin. And, um, you know, so for example, a lot of people struggle with, with like pornography and stuff because it's so accessible. And, you know, if it's like, okay, you, you engage in that sin. And then as soon as you're done, you apologize. And then you go on your, with your day. And then later on you do the same thing. And then you, you repent of your sin. Yeah. That's not repentance. That's you training yourself to say, as long as I tell God, I'm sorry, it's clean. It's washed. I'm forgiven. We're all good. Oh, good. And it's, and it's a, like, you know, in that sense, then that repentance absolutely needs to be repentant of because you're still training yourself to, to sort of throw a blanket over your sin and say, they are repented. It's all good. When you know, you have every intention of coming back and pulling that blanket back again. And that is not what, what, what Paul and Peter and you know the whole New Testament have in mind when they tell you to kill that sin, crucify it, nail it to the cross. 
Um, and uh, actually, one of Piper's the the Piper sermon from uh, from the Together for the Gospel sermon was was all about the the connection between the crucifixion and justification and how that empowers sanctification. Um, and I loved the way that he kept painting the picture. He was saying that the sin conquering work of of Christ enables the sin killing work of the Christian. Without Christ, we could never kill sin. You know, the, right. we are absolutely powerless against the power of sin and, and Satan. But the Holy Spirit empowers us. God would never tell us to to kill our sin if we couldn't. Um, one of the other preachers, I don't remember who said it at that conference. They said the only sin you can kill is a forgiven sin. In other words, if, if Christ hasn't died to cover that sin, you can fight it all day long. It will always master you. And so the, 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 the biblical repentance that happens there is a, is, a, is a change of mind and a change of heart that says, I'm going to kill this sin. So I'm not going to be repenting of it in five minutes because I want it dead. And yeah. so every time that sin crops up, our, our, our response is sort of a, a battle-like response. We're, we're coming to, to grips with, with battle and not just laying down and taking it. Um, and actually, that's a, a sort of one of those differentiating points between the, the three Greek verbs in the, in the New Testament that deal with, with repentance um, is, you know, one of them has to do with, like I said, kind of that turning from God to, or turning from idols to God um, turn. Um, one of them is like Judas, where there's there's repentance, there's repentance, there's regret, there's remorse, um, but you don't really know what to do with it. And then the third and most used one has to do actually with a the mind. It's it's it it speaks of um, sort of learning something new. So we sin, and then Scripture tells us when you do that you're actually breaking the law of God. And so now there's this sense of, oh, I didn't know that. Right. Now that I do, I'm going to live differently. Um, and, and that's the most prevalent Greek verb. I believe it's a metanoio is the, is the Greek verb. That's, it's, it's not just a change of life. It's a change of life that flows out of a renewed mind. Like now that I know this, now that I have learned this from the word and spirit, I will by the power of the spirit live differently. Um, and that, I think that is the, the key to that real repentance that, that doesn't need repenting of the, you know, I wouldn't say that it's a blanket statement. We don't all need to repent of our repentance, but sometimes, yeah, you do. Cause it's not genuine. Yeah. And that's so spot on. And I love what you said. Like if we com- you know, commit a sin and then right after repent of it, we're training ourselves. Like, mm. oh, I wish I would have heard that. Like, I don't know, eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Right. Like throughout the day I, I would even think like okay you know at the end of the day i'm gonna remember lord bring to me to bring to mind what i've done all day so i can repent of it at that time yeah bizarre dude that's so awesome like so many good nuggets in here and i'm really hoping it encourages people who are hearing i do have two more questions if you have time yeah let's do it thank you so if I am taught that repentance means to turn from sin, doesn't that make it impossible since it's impossible for the sinner to turn from every sin? That's a good question. Um, I, I think that one kind of has to do with that, the uh, the ongoing work of, of the spirit in our lives, that it's impossible for me to sit down right now and say, all right, I'm going to go through all of the sins that I've committed and repent of each one of them. Um, because there are, there are sins that are, that become so sort of embedded in the way that we live our lives. Um, especially some of the sins that are harder to spot, like pride and envy. 
um, uh, like self-righteousness, you know, looking down on other people, those types of things can slide in there and feel so natural um, that we don't even recognize them. And so in, in a sense, it is impossible to say, I'm just going to uh, repent of all my sin. And then that way I'll have a fresh slate. Everything's clean um, because there are hidden sins. And that's, that's the whole point of the, the daily walk with Christ is the, the more you get to know God, uh, you know, kind of like we already said, the more you walk with God, the more you get to know him, the, the more into the light you come. And so more things are brought to the surface. And you, as you see new sins, as God points out different things in your life that need to be cut out, um, the, the truly repentant heart wants those things cut out. And so, um, so today there might be things that God reveals to me that I need to repent of. Um, and there might be things that I won't see until tomorrow or a year from now. And so I can't, I can't repent of all those things now because it, it would be ingenuine. It needs to be a, a, you know, I need to see it. Um, and, and those things, only the Holy spirit can, can show those things to you. Now, again, the Holy Spirit might use someone else. You know, my wife is, is a great example of that. Sometimes if I've, if I've got a sin that I'm not paying attention to, um, spouses are very good at saying, yeah, you shouldn't be doing this. And you're like, yeah, ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> right. you know, exactly. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's just this, this ongoing thing. Um, and it is, it's impossible to, to repent of every single sin. There will be things that we don't even, that we are just so used to and we don't even notice them. And that's why one of the, uh, you know, that's why God's grace is, is amazing. It's, it's not a grace that demands that you find every little tiny thing you've ever done wrong. And if you don't bring it to the light, then you're still guilty of something. You know, we, we rest in his grace, which is, which is a huge part of repentance that I think is often overlooked is that yes, be genuine in your repentance. Right. Don't pick up your sin after you lay it down. But if you've confessed your sin, if you're truly sorry for your sin and you've confessed it, then you can get up and and start your day in true joy, knowing that sin is forgiven. God said he wouldn't remember it anymore. And we don't have to walk through the day going, I wonder if I forgot about this, or I wonder if I, wonder if I repented good enough about this one. No, rest in that. Rest in the grace. Trust that when you rep- just trust the promises of God. He said, if you confess your sin, he'll forgive you and cleanse you. Rest in that. It, it needs to be a, a joyful response. So good. And what you said, so good. Also, like some of those sins are just embedded in us where we, I mean, little things, I, I struggle with anxiety, not as bad as I once used to, but it's still there. And I used to think, you know, this is the thorn in my flesh. But then when I really like peeled back the layers, I'm like, you've got a lot of pride here with this anxiety that I didn't even recognize as such, but it's because it's something part of my everyday life. I never thought that it would be. And I'm like, thank the Lord for sanctification. Cause as you continue to grow, I'm like, okay, I thought I had that mastered, but I don't, I don't have anything mastered. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So another believer will say, I'm struggling with habitual sin. I've repented, but continue doing the sin. Does that mean my, my repentance isn't genuine? Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, I guess Um, a good question for you, Will. Sorry. Um, what, what would, what would we identify as habitual sin? It's, it's the, is it, would we call it the sin that I guess in this regard, they, they continuous, continuously do, they've repented of, or is it maybe the sin that just comes back every once in a while, but it's consistently coming back? Well, how mm-hmm. would you identify habitual sin? Sure. So I, th- I think habitual sin is, 
is something that I would identify uh, maybe in the lens of like uh, first, second, and third John, where where he says um, he's got some pretty strong language, you know, where he he literally says that if if you're in Christ, you don't go on sinning, um, and that's sort of frightening. You know, the first, second, and third John can be uh, some really heavy reading, especially when you when you're in the middle of struggling with a particular sin and it, it's sort of discouraging or you feel discouraged by it. Um, and then he says something like, yeah, true Christians don't do that. And you're like, Whoa, then right. what have I been doing? Um, and That's so the, there is a sense in which, yeah, you know, we, we, we do have besetting sins as, as they're, they're called in Hebrews, um, you know, the sin, which so easily entangles those things that, you know, and, and each one of us has it and we all know what it is for us, you know, whether it's, it's pride or envy or less, like there are the, the specific things that we all struggle with, we know what they are. Um, but the, I, I wouldn't call that habitual temptation or that, that habitual struggle, habitual sin, because the, the way that I see that they, that it is described in first John is habitual sin is the constant giving in to something. You know, I remember hearing a pastor when I was growing up at our church, he said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of people that tell me like, Oh, I'm just really wrestling with this sin. And he says, and I know them, you know, they're, they're, I've tried to disciple them and counsel them. And, and I know they're not wrestling with that sin at all. Every time it comes, they lose. They never win a battle against that sin. That's not wrestling. Um, you know, the, the, the struggle with those types of besetting sins is an actual struggle. There will be some battles you win, some battles you, you lose. But again, it kind of goes back to that, that Judas and Peter. What are you going to do with that sin? Um, are you going to take it to Christ or are you going to try to fix it yourself? And I think that the habitual nature of that sin comes when we're constantly trying to figure it out ourselves. Um, you know, I, I've, I've known several people who are you know, trying to stop some sort of, uh, of addiction, whether it's pornography or, you know, smoking, I'm going to stop smoking. And, um, and, and to them, it's, you know, I'm going to stop smoking because I believe that it's, it's a sin for me or, you know, whatever it is. And so they, they, they sort of commit to this, this regimen. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, um, I'm going to throw all my cigarettes in the trash. I'm going to hide my wallet. I'm going to, you know, all these crazy things. And it's like, don't, you know, if you need to do Right. common sense steps to, to, to cut something out of your life. That's fine. Right. Um, but at the same time, if you're trusting in those things to do some sort of repentant work in your heart, that's going to cut that sin out of your life. Right. It, it's, it's going to come back tomorrow with a vengeance. Um, and it, like, only God can kill sin in your life. Only, only God can, can, uh, we can only overcome sin through the power of the Holy spirit. And so those, those types of besetting sins are, they'll always be there. They'll always be there. But if, if you're, if you real, if you look back and you say, okay, yeah. Um, a hundred times this month, I was tempted to do that. And I did it a hundred times. Um, then you're not wrestling with that sin. That's not an ongoing struggle with sin. That's just, that you're just habitually sinning. Um, and that should be according to first John, that should be a clear warning in our lives that we might have misunderstood grace and repentance, we may have made a false profession of faith. And it's, it's, you know, his letter is written, he says in first John 5, 13, that his, the whole point of his writing is that we might know that we have eternal life. He's not trying to make people doubt their salvation. He's trying to get them to know when it's genuine. And so when, when, when those things are brought up, 
um, you know, if, if we, if we begin to see, yeah, I'm totally okay with living a life of habitual sin. Um, then yes, that scripture is a warning, but for those of us who, who are truly believers, when we see those things called out in our lives, we want to repent of them. We want to, to, to get them out of, uh, out of our lives because we want to be like Christ. You know, Psalm, uh, I think it's 37, four, I might have the, the wrong reference there, but he says, you know, I delighted in the Lord and he gave me the desires of my heart. And that can be understood two different ways in that, like when you're delighting in the Lord, yes, he will bless you. But I think probably a, a better translation of that text or interpretation of that text is when we delight in the Lord, then he's literally going to change our heart to desire the things that he desires for us. And of course, he's going to give us those things. Um, and so when the closer we become to uh, the closer we become to God, the more we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ, the more we desire better things, the more we desire to be like him. And so when that sin comes along, we say, no, that threatens my becoming like Christ. I want that gone. That, that's just amazing. I, I literally, I was sitting here thinking as you were speaking, I'm like, this blessed me probably more than I even thought it would. <laughs> because repentance is something like I've struggled with in the past. And it's just, just ha- I guess, clearly identifying it, clearly understanding it. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I, I had a little bit of a Catholic background once before. So I sometimes still slip into that workspace sort of faith and just hearing all of this, I'm just, I, I, I'm just the thinking in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm done hanging up. I'm gonna replay this. I can take some notes. I didn't want to. Do <laughs> I didn't yeah, want to. No, hurt. it's. I mean, that that mindset is so easy to slip into. You know, Paul. I think it was in his writing to the Galatians. He says, "You, you began in grace. Are you going to continue in works? Like, no. You, you have to continue in the grace. It's, it's still God, even after you come to faith. It's still, it's still God. You have to remember that. So yeah. important. I'm just so thankful you came on, Will, and like spent this time with me this morning talking about this. Um, this is so oh, my like, pleasure for believers to hear. Now, you did write an article about this, right? Um, or is it out or are you in the work? I, I did. So it's 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 on my website. Um, but it was the the kind of the, the point of my article was to be a little bit of a launching pad for the devotional that we had at Hosanna Revival. Yeah. Um uh, you know, be, being the, the director of publishing there, I had the privilege of sort of selecting someone to, to write this Holy Week devotional. Um, and Brittany Lee Allen did an absolutely wonderful job with it. I think she handled the, the topic really well. Um, the, I, so I read this little book earlier this year by uh, Sinclair Ferguson, and it's just called The Grace of Repentance. And a tiny little book. It's like this big and that thick. Um, but man, it is an excellent book on just biblical repentance. Um, many of the things that, that I mentioned today are things that I'm just remembering from, you know, from that book and, and being refreshed in it. And, uh, and so I was sort of like really focused on this, this topic of repentance and it had been floated already as a topic for this devotional. Um, and so, uh, that was some of the, the direction for it and, and Brittany Lee Allen wrote it for us. And so the, the article that I wrote was sort of trying to, to wet people's whistles and, and get them uh, interested in that, in that devotional. Cause I mean, repentance is, is something we can all learn more about. Um, it's, it's something that's never going to weigh until we are in glory. We will have to live lives of, you know, that was the very first of Martin Luther's 95 theses when, when God called us to live lives of repentance or when Christ called us to live 
uh, lives of repentance, he meant that it should be a daily thing. This is like this is the life of the believer. We are called to live repentance, um, and and yeah, it's never going to go away. And so it's it's always good to think about biblical repentance. Absolutely. Okay. When I post this, I want to link the article. I, I want to link the devotional mm-hmm. as well, and then I wanted to link the, the book from Ferguson. Sure. Well. Yeah. I'll be good for a person to kind of have all of that to to reference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much again for joining. Of course. Thanks for having episode. me. No, I, I hope you you'll come back for sure. Cause I'm like, I can pick his brain about all kinds. Of <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again. Well, I really appreciate it. You bet. Hey. Thanks for joining us this week on the grace redeemed podcast. Make sure to visit my Instagram page at Grace Redeem Podcast and YouTube channel at The Grace Redeem Podcast, where you can subscribe to the show. You can also find episodes of this podcast on many listening platforms. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, and if you found value or encouragement in this show, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, we would appreciate it. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Grace Redeemed podcast as we dive into another episode through a biblical lens.